Welcome to the Caring Together podcast. Caring for a loved one can be one of life's greatest privileges, but caregiving can also be overwhelming, exhausting, and isolating. Whether you're currently a caregiver or just want to learn more about caregiving, we're glad you're here. And I'm Jack Baker. I'm one of your co-hosts. I've been involved with supporting seniors and a caregiver myself for over four decades. And I'm your other co-host, Amy Smythe, with the Area Agency on Aging, Region 1B. In this season of the Caring Together podcast, we're focusing on what it takes not just to survive, but to thrive mind, body, and soul during your caregiving journey. We're grateful to our sponsor for making this season possible, the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Legacy Fund for Caregivers at the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, with additional support provided by the Area Agency on Aging 1B. In our first episode of season two, we introduced you to Jill Gaffner Livingston, who shared her own caregiving story that really has changed the trajectory of her life. She's a certified dementia practitioner and Alzheimer's disease and dementia trainer through the International National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, and has literally trained thousands of formal and family caregivers around the world. If you haven't heard Jill's story yet, we encourage you to listen to episode one. So in today's episode, we're going to tackle a difficult but necessary part of caregiving, and that's the critical importance of self-care. So thanks for being with us again, Jill. You're welcome. Jill, you tell caregivers that caring for themselves isn't an act of self-indulgence, but rather an act of survival. Why is it so hard for caregivers to see self-care in this way? Well, Jack, once you start uh, your role as a caregiver, the main focus of everything in your life becomes your patient or your loved one. Uh, And where you used to have time for yourself, you really don't put forth time for yourself. Uh, Any extra time you have or the attention uh, that you give goes towards your your patient. We know that uh, today there are somewhat in the area of 65 million caregivers. I think at that time, and I started my caregiving, uh, there were 50 million, so there are far more today. And so there are so many caregivers out there, but it's ironic that with all these caregivers, caregivers can still have this isolated feeling, this in- incredible feeling of loneliness that the world has gone on without you. Like all these plans that maybe you had in your lifetime and we talk about the committee in your head and the movie that plays out for your life, it has come to a, a, a complete change in many, many cases, certainly in, in my case. And I can remember, I can remember thinking at oh, sometime around uh, maybe the early 2000s, I could live or die and dying didn't sound so bad. And I say that, and I say that out loud, and with the many people that I talk to, there are always people that nod their head like, yeah, that's that's something I can relate to. They may not have said it out loud, but once I say it out loud, then they can come back and say, yeah, I felt that same way, because it's just so tremendous. Now, it's a, a, the, when we look at ourselves, it's a known fact that majority of these 65 million caregivers 
will not even go to the doctor where they used to go for an annual physical. They've given that up because they don't even think about themselves going to the doctor. Everything is focused on our patient. So on average, we go to the doctor every five years. That's horrible, especially when you look at the age group of caregivers. We should be going every year. And so our health can be uh, in, you know, you know, it's risky for our health. We also know that human behavior, we mimic each other. We always have, we always will, everybody does it. And as a caregiver, when we are working with our patient day in and day out or on a regular basis, we can start mimicking our patient. Now, this isn't something we're conscious about. It, you know, subconsciously, you start mimicking your patient. And many times when we start mimicking, for instance, someone who has dementia, right? You get too close and you start thinking, oh, I have it, right? And I, and I see people that double check themselves all the time. Do you think I have it? I haven't remembered something or, and it could be related to stress more than anything. But what happens is when we start mimicking, we can't not, we cannot give ourselves a disease, much like dementia. But what it looks like on a caregiver is depression. <laughs> and so that's why we say there's a huge risk of depression when it comes to being a caregiver and significantly higher depression if you're taking care of someone with a cognitive impairment. So one of the things by saying I matter and paying attention to myself is making sure that I separate the issues that are going on with my loved one or my patient and myself. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, hopefully we have time for a quick, funny story. Sure. But Always. Boy, I'll tell you, I remember in 95, I did this mimic. Of course, it wasn't dementia then, it was cancer. So because we had so much cancer in our, in our conversation, in our life with all Bob's issues, boy, I thought every time I had a pain or a headache or an itch that I was just full of cancer. And so I remember Jackie Onassis had been diagnosed with lymphoma. And I read it in the paper because once again, Google wasn't, wasn't <laughs> and I'm looking at all these symptoms that Jackie has. And I'm thinking, well, by golly, I am lymphoma. I'm probably going to die before Bob. How did this happen? Oh my, what are they going to do without me? And I go to the doctor to let him know that I have lymphoma because I had already diagnosed <laughs> myself. And, um, after he checks my urine, he says, it's not lymphoma, you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am going, wow, lymphoma and pregnancy look a lot alike. Um, and uh, so it, just when I thought, you know, life uh, couldn't get more complicated, we were blessed with a miracle, uh, who is now 25 years old, Nicholas. And, uh, you know, so it was one of those things that it really changed our lives. Nothing like a newborn baby to get you out of thinking about cancer and kind of thinking about life. But, but that whole mimic thing, we have to be so careful with it. So uh, acknowledging that I matter means I have to make a conscious effort to look at myself. Typically, caregivers don't do that. Yeah, I think we hear over and over again, you know, well-meaning friends are always, well, just make sure you take care of yourself while you're right. doing this. Boy, for me, that's like 
fingernails on a chalkboard, right? right? Because, you know, if you only lived in my shoes for a few minutes, you'd understand it isn't that simple. And I think what you described about periods of depression, even serious depression, those might be more the rule than the exception, I think, for caregivers. I think many caregivers, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they talk about it or not, run into those periods. I think that's for sure. And if you look at it this way, Jack, I always say that caregivers take a step backwards all the time, right? So we're going to stop talking about our issues because it makes people uncomfortable. And so we stopped doing that. I mentioned about the work, right? I remember back in, in 1991, when the surgeries and identifying Bob's cancer, when this all happened, at the end of the year, my work evaluation said, Jill is a great worker, except for the exceptional amount of time off. Now, where does that go? That goes in your HR file. So every time I would nominate for a promotion or a change in in position, of course they go to the HR file and they pull it out and they're like, oh my gosh, it's too bad. She must be a real troublemaker. Look at this. Jill's a great boy if it weren't for the um, tremendous amount of time off, right? And so unfortunately I lost out on a lot of promotions. And what that taught me was to just keep my mouth shut. Stop mm -hmm. talking about it. People do not have to know about the responsibilities that you have. They don't need to know about Bob's health or your bills or your lack of sleep or the issues. Let's stop talking about it. That's one more step backwards into your shadow. Now I'm not going to the doctor. Now I'm not information sharing because I don't have anybody to share information with. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to share at work because it may cause hardship on my career in my future. Another step back, and so pretty soon we are behind our shadow. We're not even in our shadow. So, you know, eventually you forget that you matter at all. And if you also have the depression on top of it, quite frankly, you don't about and, yourself. And friends that would, over a long period of time, people you did things with often, you'd start getting fewer invitations and then they kind of stopped asking, right? Because you often can't go or how are you doing? All those things, I think, you know, it's part of that isolation process you're describing. And that's important too, because the friends part, right? So I, I talk about the position of friends. It's very, very hard to be a friend of a caregiver, right? Depending on how much responsibility a caregiver has, friends can think that, Inviting them out for social occasions, well, that may be cold and callous. I mean, I know that Jack is taking care of his parents. He's got a lot going on. How do I call him and go, hey, Jack, the whole group's going bowling. Want to go? And they think, boy, that wouldn't be appropriate. So we're not going to ask him, but Jack knows we love him. And when the time comes, Jack will let us know. And that's not how it's interpreted by you. You think, oh my gosh, especially with Facebook and social media look at those are all my friends they went out they didn't invite me they're not now here's another step backward behind my shadow now my friends don't even want me around when that's not really the case it's just very hard for a friend to know when is the appropriate time to ask jack to go bowling and when is not the appropriate time and my advice on that is to say caregivers on top of everything else that you're doing for yourself and for your, your mental health, 
you make the call to your friends and say, hey, if you guys go, go bowling, I want to go. Hopefully when that day comes, I can get someone to stay with, you know, whomever, my, my mom or my dad or my loved one. Or, but don't, don't leave me out. If I can't go, I'll let you know. But please continue to call me. But our friends need that in order to know what to do because it's confusing. No two days for a caregiver are alike. In, in fact, I, I often say that that was one of my, my blessings is going to bed at night and thinking, I never have to get through this day again. It will never happen twice. And that with any luck, tomorrow will be a better day. And that's how I would go to bed every night, just to give me hope that tomorrow would be a better day. And I would live to see tomorrow with a better attitude. But you're right, friends are important. We've got to connect, but we need to tell them that we want to. Yeah, I, I appreciate you putting that spin on it, Jill, because I think that, you know, as, as one that's not currently caregiving for somebody, I have very close friends who are. And, you know, we have those discussions and, you know, try to reach out and, and do all that stuff. But I think in terms of even for the mental health of a caregiver who feels like maybe their power has been stripped away because they are completely absorbed in this other person's life, that that really seems to me to be a way to for caregivers to take back their power a little bit, you know, in terms of being able to say, you know what, this, this is what I need from you right now, or this is, I want to be included, but th they need to take some of that responsibility too. And that's, that's a really positive it thing, is. I think. The thing we have to, that we struggle with sometimes too, is the guilt of going out and enjoying life. So as a sure. caregiver, I may, and I did say, well, I can't go out and have fun. Bob's dying. Right. And so I was held uh, held in because I didn't think I deserved to go out because of what was happening to him, which there's no logic. Yeah. When I say that out loud today, so many years later, I'm like, Jill, where's the logic there? But you got to remember when you are emotional, logic doesn't play a part. Right. Usually emotional decision making ends up being pretty bad. <laughs> so and if, if right. we are anything as caregivers. We can tend to be very emotional. And so we use that. And once again, I can't go enjoy life. I have no right to enjoy life when with my my patient, my, my loved one is going through such a thing. And of course, all of these, all of these emotions, all of these behaviors, all of these things can lead a caregiver to burnout. And we hear a lot about caregiver yeah. burnout. Um, can you talk about what that really is and how a caregiver can recognize yeah. it if they themselves are in it? Or for those of us who have people we love who are caregiving, you know, how how can we recognize and maybe help head that off a little bit? Thanks, Amy. And that's the thing, right? So what we want to do is we want to, number one, there is a real thing called caregiver burnout. It's real. 
look at ourselves to find out, do we recognize any of these symptoms that I'm gonna go through in a minute? Do I see them within myself? And then look at your circle of friends and family who also would be in a caregiving position to say, do I recognize these with them as well? And the first thing of caregiver burnout is withdrawing from friends. And we just talked about that, right? So withdrawing from friends, mm -hmm. social isolation, and I don't mean in return, you know, we brought up the COVID-19. I'm talking beyond COVID-19, right? So in normal life, you start withdrawing from friends. Uh, they call, you don't answer the telephone, you don't reach out to them, there's no activity. You feel like you have isolated and you have stopped, and even so much as family too. So that first step of isolation in caregiver burnout, it's number one. If you were talking about depression, it's the same thing, right? Withdrawing from friends is the first step for depression. And believe it or not, if you were talking about the mental, it's the first step there too. As human beings, we are social creatures. We've never ever been uh, supposed to do life on our, on our own. In fact, we punish with isolation, right? Your kids go on time out. Right, or, right. Know, in jails, you might have uh, isolation as, as a punishment. So when you see a change in activity for social, um, being social, that's the first thing. The next one is exhaustion. I would say feeling tired, but I don't mean tired. I mean so exhausted, you don't know if you can finish your sentence. We had a lady just before Christmas, broad daylight, she was a caregiver, she ran out, she came back home, pulled in her driveway, put her head on her steering wheel and fell sound to sleep. And that's the kind of exhaustion and that we recognize. I can think of wow. many, 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 almost every night, I would come home from work feeling absolutely fine, but I would turn onto our street and something happened to me. It's like, I just couldn't breathe normal. I'd pull in the driveway, I'd walk in the house and I'd Hey, everybody, just give me 20 minutes. I just want to lay on the bed for 20 minutes because it was that exhaustion. I just didn't think I could go ahead and, and take anything more until I got a break. Uh, feeling depressed is another one. Um, feeling guilty. And I, I don't know that I've ever met a, a caregiver that doesn't have some level of guilt. Um, and, and I'll tell you that guilt can be very damaging because you wonder where does this come from? We didn't have this before we became a caregiver. But you see, before I became a caregiver, I was allowed to make mistakes. Oh, live and learn, you know, can't win them all. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You forgave yourself. When you become a caregiver, you don't forgive yourself. It isn't just a live and learn. Everything matters. Uh, it's critical to your patient. It's critical to you. It's critical for those people that are counting on you. So the guilt of never being able to be perfect. And yet mm -hmm. our measurement system, we're not measuring on what yeah. we can do because we're human. We're measuring on some angelic level. And, and we think that we have to make all the right decisions, but we never will. We'll never reach that angelic platform. We aren't angels, we're still human. So I see friends of mine who are dealing with this and showing some of these signs of burnout and potentially, how do I have 
a conversation with them about that? Or do I have a conversation? Is that appropriate? What might that conversation look like? So, yes, it is appropriate to have the conversation. And it is a heart-to-heart -heart conversation of tell me what life is like for you and let them do as much talking as possible. We want to pose a question and then we just need to listen and have them just continue to tell you more. And you know, when they're talking, say, and what else? And what else? And let them get it all out of them. Some of the behaviors for burnout would be drinking alcohol more so than they are accustomed to, abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, abusing caffeine, abusing people. So if you see this person who has never been abusive, all of a sudden taking on these abusive forms, you want to bring it up to them because at the end, at the highest level of caregiver burnout, you have a crisis and you could have maybe someone who is even considering suicide and, and you know, you, you hate to bring that up, but it's real. And we, we have suicide as an issue or they may be so exhausted that they, you know, completely fold. So you want to bring this up. We had a gentleman at one of the events I did several years ago, and he came up and said, oh, Jill, I recognize my brother is burned out based on what you told me. And he said, I am so scared. What should I do? I said, well, let's talk to him. So we made, his brother was in another state, and we were going to have our first conversation. It was roughly two weeks after we had met. His brother died of a heart attack the night before. And he said, I should have seen it. I should have seen this earlier. I just didn't say anything. So, yeah, among caregiving groups, that's not uncommon to see where the person they're caring for may outlive the caregiver if you're not careful with that's this. That's right. Because of the stress, the built up stress. Yeah. One thing you said, Jill, that I think is really important is that issue of listening. You know, if you're trying to help someone, so often I think family members, there's all kinds of family dynamics involved, but they so often want to give you advice, right? Yeah. And that's the last thing you want to hear. But the, I think one of the best gifts you can give someone that's in that kind of position is just to listen. Ask questions about what they say, but don't turn it into a, here's what you should do, or why don't you do this, or all that stuff. I think that listening is so empowering for people. Uh, it is, and a lot of people don't really understand listening uh, to the degree that we need to listen. Uh, and you're right about the advice, right? Everybody has an opinion, and you learn that. And you can also get a lot of bad information if you listen to opinions. And for some reason, the world likes to share very negative news first. And so mm -hmm. sometimes we get all caught up in all this negative uh, feedback from people. And of course, caregivers, are, if they're conscientious, taking a role uh, and other family members are there, they also risk being judged, right? And I say this kind of tongue in cheek that when we first get a, our patient, and especially if you're taking care of parents, you may have all kids at the first meeting, and I say kids, but adult children, at the first meeting saying, yeah, I, I'm going to give you know, I can help, I can help, I'll do Mondays, I'll do Tuesdays, I'll do, and everybody is so willing to take on their equal percentage of responsibility for caring. But over time, you know, matter of weeks, 
all of a sudden, you know what? Yeah, I can't do it this night. I'm going on vacation. You are better at it than I. And all of a sudden, it becomes very unequal. And you have maybe one or two family members who are taking on majority of the, the responsibility and the tasks and the chores and so forth. And all the rest are just there now to judge. <laughs> you know? And mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. And unfortunately, we have so many families, their relationships break and they never, they never repair them after their shared responsibility. What do you see um, in terms of caregiver burnout that's changed in our society or our culture that's, you know, in terms of recognizing that and helping that? Are you are you seeing things that might be helpful for caregivers? Amy, for sure I do. And if my time, if I was going to do this again, if I had to go back to this and start over with with today's modern technology and so forth, I say start talking even on Facebook. There are all kinds of Facebook pages, dementia caregivers, or you might have elderly caregivers, or just Google whatever. Uh, type of caregiving you're doing and find a group to exchange information because they're global groups. And if it's happened once, it's probably happened to someone else and they can give you solid advice of experience that you're looking for, where you feel relieved and forgiven if you didn't have an answer because other people just told you they didn't have an answer either. And so you become part of this normal where everything in in our world outside of that Facebook group is not normal. My household was not normal. The way my kids had to grow up was not normal as we perceived normal. But I get in this Facebook group or in an, uh, some sort of a, a network group and all of a sudden I become normal, right? I am as normal as the next person on this group. So some people like going to, to group meetings face to face and there are plenty of places that host those. But if you can't, and it's often hard to get out and find someone to come in and watch your loved one, then find a way, ask, you know, if you need technical help, ask your family and friends for technical help, but get yourself connected so you have a normal and find your normal mm -hmm. group and start sharing information. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think the ideal ones are closed in that only members are really reviewing stuff because a lot of this is very, very personal. And so the ones that, that I've found the most helpful are that way. And you could be struggling with all kinds of things. You can post something at 11 o'clock at night, you wake up at six in the morning, and 10 people have commented. I mean, that is so affirming when you feel like alone or thousands That's in right. some cases. Right. That's right. And I also see, because I belong to a lot of these online groups, and they, they remain connected because it's important to realize that even when your caregiving responsibility is over, even when Bob passed away, I still hung on to all those very difficult emotions. And I was very susceptible to caregiver burnout, even though he was gone. And people don't think that is the case, but it, honestly, statistics will tell us that severe depression can continue up to three years after our caregiving ends. And so making sure that you have a program, and I know we're going to talk about the three steps to survival, 
maintain your program, maintain your connections and talking about it because what- Jill, why, why is that? I mean, why is after the death of the person you're caring for, why are caregivers still at risk of burnout? You would think that, you know, kind of it's been taken care of and yes, they might deal with the grief, but why the risk of because burnout? Because the next three years, we go over everything that happened. And now we have time uh, to evaluate what should we have done? What could we have done? Uh, did we do it all? And it doesn't look the same. You know, we perceive things differently when they're gone than when they're here. Even if we silently somewhere said, I can't wait till this is over. And we didn't broadcast it. We didn't share it. But all of a sudden they pass away. Now I feel guilty because I silently did wish it were over. Right. Right. And so the emotions still stay there. I mean, you know, it's just, you have to forgive what you didn't know in here. You know, there's so much you don't know when you're going through it. And then you have to get back on to life and getting through the guilt of being alive and now getting back to life. And, you know, it's a process of learning to be normal again. Yeah, that's really good. I don't, I, I haven't heard folks talk about that much, you know, in terms of, I mean, we, the grief and the having to um, figure out who you are apart from that caregiver role. I mean, her talked about that, but that's that's really interesting and a very important point. So thank you for yeah, sharing that. So Joe, I listened to your comments and in fact, I feel um, vulnerable myself because I reached the point where I really, really struggled. I didn't see any end in sight. I was exhausted all the time. I felt isolated. And it took a friend that got in my face, I guess, you know, very well-meaning, not someone I'm really close to either, but someone that saw that I was hurting. And he talked to me about, I needed to stop and take time to take care of myself. And I think it was hard to hear that at the time. At first, I, I couldn't even really accept it, but it's probably the most important thing that happened for me because it did change how I, how I made time. To, I started a walking regimen. I lost 40 pounds. You know, at the time, I probably couldn't walk a mile, right? And by the time I was done, I could walk 18, you know, and I just made it a part of the regimen. So anyway, um, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. You know, when people reach that point or how, how do they get over that hurdle to go from the depression to finding a new path forward? Well, first of all, I want to tell you that whoever that was, uh, they're very good. And uh, they saved you. And, and you can look at it that way because, because they did. And the getting through that, that hurdle, uh, first of all, you have to make sure that you're open to listening to people. Right. So for for me, I don't I didn't have a friend that that did that necessarily. It was me that did that. I remember being on an airplane and they do that whole oxygen thing. And I've heard this in comparison and, and other speakers. But, you know, I, I wrote this in my in my book back when I published in 05. And I said, I remember sitting there listening to to the uh, attendant say, if you're traveling with a young person or someone you're caring for, make sure you put your own mask on first. And quite frankly, in my head, I thought, well, isn't that just a selfish act? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Who would be that selfish? And I thought that way, right? Until all of a sudden I had to survive. And I kept thinking of that because they were right. It, who, what, what was gonna happen to Bob and the kids? 
if I went down the tube first. And I had already found that statistic that you mentioned earlier, Jack, that said back then 50 million people are caregiving, of which many will pass away before their patient due to the amount of stress. I already found that, and that's that scared the heck out of me. And so when I went through and I found that whole oxygen thing, I thought this is what they mean. If I don't take care of myself, Bob and the kids don't have a chance. So I didn't have a friend that said it. I think my research and scaring myself is why I turned to making my survival. Mm-hmm. And however it happens, what you begin to realize is it's that um, step to start really taking care of yourself that makes it sustainable. We did it for 12 years with my father-in-law who lived with us, you know, post-stroke. You did it for 20 years with your husband, you know, but I think that's if if you don't get over that hurdle and make that a priority, it can work into your your uh, schedule. You can make time for that, even though it feels like you can't. And if you don't, I don't see how it becomes sustainable. That's right. Well, I really appreciate, again, all that you've shared with us and your experience and your knowledge today, Jill. And I, I do hope that the primary takeaway for folks is that this whole thing about self-care is not indulgence, but a, but an act of survival indeed. And so next episode, you're going to walk us through how to develop that plan for caregiver survival so that it is sustainable over the long That's haul. Because right. it's our desire, right, that it's not only just about survival, but it is about thriving to the extent that we can thrive in that season. So thank you again. Yeah, we're really fortunate, Jill, to have someone with both the experience of having been a long-term caregiver and the expertise in your work with Alzheimer's and dementia and others to share your story with us. I can't you know, tell you how much we appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about the follow-on uh, you know, episodes where you talk more about the journey. Good, and I'm looking forward to being with you again. Thanks, guys. for joining us today on the Caring Together podcast. If you'd like more information about the resources that are available to family caregivers, please visit our website, livingstoncaregiver.org, or you can call our caregiver hotline, 844-734-CARE. That's 844-734-CARE to speak with a caregiver specialist. Please consider subscribing to the Caring Together podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that you can receive each new episode when it's released. We hope you found today's podcast helpful in your own caregiving journey. And to all the family caregivers out there, thanks for joining us on Caring Together.